So Acts chapter 15 again. One of the most consequential chapters and events in the history of the church, certainly in our personal history sitting here this evening, when there comes to Jerusalem a crisis as Paul and Barnabas are seeing multitudes of Gentiles come to the Lord. And as they return um, to Antioch, certain men, now we're going to find out they're from Jerusalem, but not sent officially by the church in Jerusalem. They come and start to trouble them there and tell them that the Gentiles, if they really want to be saved, they have to be circumcised, they have to keep the law of Moses. So you have this crisis that comes. Um, the Gentile world, immoral, uh, pantheistic, all kinds of gods, all kinds of things accepted. They're not accepted amongst the Jews. And these Gentiles are coming, giving their hearts to Christ, and, and then that's it. They're saved. On the other side, you have this Jewish tradition you know, 2,000 years of Judaism where they've seen the miracles coming out of Egypt. They have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers, uh, David and Goliath. They have this huge, wonderful heritage, but it's become calcified. And uh, certainly they're keeping the law, they're keeping the feast, they're keeping the dietary uh, things and so forth. And now they're healing. These Gentiles are just barging in. You think like you can do that without being circumcised or keeping dietary laws or any of this? So there's this, there's this clash, you know. There's this coming together. And wonderfully, the church uh, says, let's let's settle this. Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's before we, you know, lynch one another. Let's let's bring this into the light and bring it into consideration. I wish the church was like that today, uh, that they would take a deep breath and look at some things. It says here, the certain men which came down from Judea, we're in chapter 15, taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When, therefore, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation, means it was a big one, with them, they determined, the church at Antioch, that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them, of the, the church in Antioch, should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all of the brethren. So we read through that easily, understand they're coming now from Antioch here in Syria, and they come all the way down to Jerusalem. And as they do that, they come down to Phoenice, the area of Tyre and Sidon. And then they go over, we're told, to Samaria, which is in this area where 
There were Gentiles. The Samaritans had gotten saved, again, from Antioch down to Jerusalem, but they're going to go over in this area of Samaria and then to Jerusalem, speaking to the churches, Gentiles, the Samaritans, rejoicing as they hear what's being done. And understand, this is over 300 miles. Most scholars feel it was at least a 20-day trip, probably a month, because they stopped in these different areas and ministered to the church and spoke with them. So you have Paul and Barnabas on this journey. You have certain other men, it tells us, from Antioch. And we know from Galatians chapter 2, one of them was Titus. Timothy's not been called yet. That will be chapter 16. Titus, who ends up to be one of the elders in the church, um, Paul being his mentor, you can imagine these early days traveling with Paul and Barnabas, traveling with other Gentiles from that church. Paul is going to say, when I got down there, uh, I presented Titus. He was part of the deal. He says, then, 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, a Gentile, was compelled to be circumcised, and, and um, that because of false brethren, unaware, who brought in privately, they came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, known not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So he tells us Titus is with them in that journey. And he's like exhibit A. You know, as no doubt as Titus gets to Jerusalem and they meet first, he says, with those of reputation. He didn't go directly to the council. He met first. He, he was familiar with um, Peter. He was familiar with James. He was familiar with John, who's not specifically mentioned, but is mentioned in Galatians. He's familiar with some of the church leaders, and Barnabas, who had been a Levite in the area, is certainly familiar with leaders in the church and parts of the congregation in Jerusalem. And uh, again, Paul, being a Pharisee of the Pharisees, is going to have to confront some of his Pharisaic brethren who come after him here, not the ones who came to Antioch. These are those in Jerusalem, which it tells us are believers. So you can imagine this journey. You put it at 20 days to a month, walking. They're traveling from Syria and Antioch down to Jerusalem. They come to Phoenicia, the areas of Tyre and Sidon. They're meeting believers there, fellowships that have begun. They're fellowshipping with them. They must be so excited to have Paul show up and Barnabas, you know. And then they make their way over to Samaria, where their churches have been born. John and Peter went up and, and prayed for the disciples to read the, uh, receive the Holy Spirit and so forth. So in this process, the churches, young churches, Gentile churches now rejoicing. Uh, just so amazing. Paul's here and, and uh, Barnabas is here. You can imagine. And Titus is in the mix of all this, listening, watching, hearing the discussion in these Gentile churches. Yeah, we've come from Antioch because 
certain came from Jerusalem and they're trying to convince our brethren, when they say our, talking to the Gentiles, no churches, that they have to keep the law of Moses to be saved, that they'd be circumcised to be saved, and we don't believe that for a minute. And certainly those Gentiles are saying, great, you know, we're glad to hear that. So pray for us. We're going up to Jerusalem to meet there with the leadership and settle this issue. So no doubt they must have gone with a good bit of prayer. But I think what this journey must have been like the conversations that must have taken place. And it says, They met with these churches declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. They caused great joy among all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders. He tells us that in Galatians. He met with them first. And they declared all things that God had done with them. So they're talking with the leadership first in the church. He says, but there rose up, not in their meeting, but there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, and no doubt Paul no doubt knew, knew them. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And, it, and Luke tells, Holy Spirit tells us they were of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed. They were believers. They're not disbelievers. They're misbelievers saying that it was needful to circumcise them, to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, they're not ready just to throw that all the win- out the window. You know, the church is brand new. These are Jewish believers. They believe Jesus is the Messiah. They believe that there's a kingdom that's going to be established. They believe that they're not supposed to throw the law of Moses out the window and just forsake all of those things. So there's a contention. And it's coming to Jerusalem so that can be settled. Look, it's really important for you and I to look at this because there are legalists in the church today that try to bring you and I under their rules and regulations, convincing us that if we keep those rules and regulations, we'll be closer to Christ, which is an offense to the cross of Jesus Christ. He said there, it is finished. He didn't say mostly finished. He said it's finished. And, of course, then there are liberals who still want to live in sin and do those things like the Gentile world around us and say, oh, that's fine. No, there needs to be change on that side as well. So it's really interesting to see how the balance is struck here as we come to this scene. So there was this group of believers that were Pharisees saying, no, no, the Gentiles can't just waltz in here. They, they, they need to be circumcised. It's a sign of the covenant God made with Abraham, our covenant with God, and to keep the law of Moses. Verse 6 says, and the apostles and elders came together. Now, how many days are there between verse 5 and verse 6? We don't know. And no doubt Paul, Barnabas, those who came from Antioch, Titus, they're talking to the leadership They're communicating what happened. There's some time. It's indiscriminate. We're not told how much time. But in verse 6, now finally they come together. The apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. They they came to finding a balance between grace and obedience coming together. And when there had been much disputing... They're going back and forth over these issues. And on the side of grace was Paul and Barnabas, not just, and Paul was a Jew of the Jews. 
circumcised the eighth day. So he's arguing with his fellow Pharisees. When there had been much disputation, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago, and it's over ten years before this now, God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel. And I believe it's the first time in the Bible we have that phrase, the word of the gospel, and believe. So Peter stands up now. And they give ear to listen to him. Uh, You know, it's interesting. Peter was given the keys to the kingdom. Now, certainly that's relative to the scribes and the keys on their sash and all that kind of thing. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound on earth. Whatever you bind in heaven shall be bound in heaven. The, the tenses are beautiful there. Whatever you bind on earth will already have been bound on earth. Whatever you bind in heaven, you know, will already have been bound in heaven. I'm sorry. So the idea is you guys know the truth. You're going to say this is acceptable. This is not acceptable. And when you, when you, as a, the scribe of the kingdom, lay that out, that will be something that will already have been loosed or bound in heaven. It's, you're just going to be expressing on earth. So Peter, in a very interesting way, is the one in Acts 2, stands up there and preaches that first sermon to the Jews on Pentecost, and 3,000 are saved. Then Peter is the one who goes up to Samaria, all the prejudice between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans embraced the first five books of Moses, but not the rest of the Old Testament. They had strange ideas of sacrifice and so forth. And we're going to get there if the Lord tarries with Jesus and the Samaritan woman, not too distant future, seven or eight years. Um, but here, in the, then Peter's the one that goes with John and comes back to the church and says, the Samaritans, they're, they're genuinely believers. Then Peter's the one at Joppa, you remember the Lord, lets the sheet down from heaven three times and, and reproves Peter and says, don't call common that which I've called clean, Peter, these Gentiles, don't do that. And, you know, and, and he challenges him there. And Peter then goes to the house of Cornelius and he opens the door to the Gentiles. So he's the one in the midst of this, remarkably, that opens the doors to the Jews. He opens the doors to the Samaritans, opens the door to the Gentiles. And he stands up now, and, he, and the Lord lets that happen because he's, he's got clout. He's respected in the church. And he stands up here, and he said, he said, you know, it was a good while ago, over 10 years, that God made a choice among us that the Gentiles, God made this choice by my mouth, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. You guys know this. This is nothing new. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And he put no difference between us and them purifying their hearts by faith. And he says, you know, I'm there, and as I'm speaking, the Holy Ghost fell on them. You know this. And he said, even as it did on us in the beginning, we experienced it on Pentecost, and we were brought into the church. The Gentiles, as I'm speaking to them, the Holy Ghost falls on them, God bearing witness that their hearts had also been purified by faith, you know, Peter's saying, you know this. 
You, you know this took place. God gathered them in. God was gracious to them. And he says then, in verse 10, very interesting, now therefore, and he's speaking to these, now these are Judaizers, but they're not Judaizers like the unbelieving Judaizers that are going to follow Paul and Haslam all over the Roman Empire. These are Judaizers in the, in the sense that they want to help, they want the, to bring the, the Gentiles under the, the law of Moses, but they are believers. So they have things misconstrued. And Peter stands up, and they have great regard for him, no doubt, these Judaizers. But now there's this really hard challenge when Peter says this, Now therefore, knowing that, knowing that God bore witness of them, pouring the Holy Spirit out on them, that's not my deal, only God can do that. Now therefore, look what he says, Why tempt ye God? That's a, that's a tough line to come down on the Judaizers. He says, Why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? He says, he said, Why are we going to do this? Why, why would we put this yoke of bondage upon them? But neither we nor our fathers were able to bear this bondage this burden of the law. He said, that's, you know, that's why there's the day of atonement. That's why every year the whole nation of Israel needs to be forgiven through the blood of the lamb, the the scapegoat and so forth there on the day of atonement. That's why there's sacrifices for sin written in the law, the, the statutes, the ordinances. That's why there's burnt offerings. We weren't able to bear it. Now we're gonna lay that on them and he was with Jesus. You know, he heard Jesus say, Come unto me all ye that are, that are heavy laden, and you know, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Peter heard him say that. And no doubt he thinks of that here. The, why are we going to put this other yoke on the Gentiles? We weren't able to bear it. We have the law, but we had to have a sacrificial system with the law because we weren't able to bear these things. Now we know Christ is the Lamb of God, he has come. Luke's giving us the short version here, no doubt. And he said, why are we going to lay that on them? We weren't, we weren't able to bear that. Why would we lay that on them as well? But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. And notice he says, even as they. He doesn't say they shall be saved like us. He says, we shall be saved like them. Interesting that we're going to be saved in the way that they were saved. And, and again, no doubt, I think Peter's probably thinking about that whole process, the sheets coming down from heaven, the house of Cornelius, you know, he's reliving all of that, which they had heard. Um, so first Peter speaks up. We're going to have Peter, we're going to have Barnabas, we're going to have Paul, we're going to have James. Um, so significant voices here. Peter then laying this out first. And look what it says here in verse 12. It says, And then all the multitudes, so the congregation is there as well. The first meeting that Barnabas and Paul have as they come to Jerusalem is with the elders, with James, with Peter, with John. They, they hash through these things. Have we been preaching in vain? Or what do you think? You know, and then, you know, all right, we're gonna, we'll bring it to the church. So then they bring it to the church. 
there's too many people around today that don't bring things to the church. They bring it to the court or somewhere. He, he, he says, um, no, really. I'm not saying that to be funny. It, it, sadly, uh, you know, people suing one another. I mean, sometimes it comes to that, but you don't start there. They bring it to the church. The Judaizers are welcome. They're there to give their position and so forth. But after Peter spoke, it says, then all the multitude kept silence. The the tenses are telling us they began to be silent. You can imagine people might have been yelling back and forth, saying things. Now everybody kind of settles down. And they gave audience. It's imperfect. They're living, giving now continued audience audience are listening and notice it says to Barnabas and Paul it lists Barnabas first as we're following them through the first missionary journey it's no time before it's Paul and Barnabas coming back to Jerusalem now Barnabas is a Levite uh, so no doubt it's saying they knew him well Barnabas speaks first in this circumstance and then Paul and they were declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. So you can imagine the whole trip. They were, you know, we go to Cyprus, we go to the end, there's this sorcerer, Elemis, the whole thing with the, the proconsul there in, uh, in Sergius Paulus in, in Cyprus, and then we go on up, you know, get up to the area of Antioch, and these things are happening, and travel down, end up in Lystra, and there's a crippled man there from his birth, and God does this great miracle, and, you know, they got mad and stoned me, and, uh, you know, Barnabas is sharing first, he looked bad, oh yeah, he looked bad, you know, we thought he was dead, you know, and just, well, that's where he got all those lumps, you know, and uh, you can imagine as they're going through this, because Peter said it was the Holy Ghost that bore witness that the door was open to the Gentiles. And he chose to do that by my mouth. Now, Barnabas and Paul are saying the same thing. God bore witness by the Holy Ghost. All these miraculous things were taking place in these different areas, and the Gentiles were coming into the church. The Lord himself bearing witness with signs, with wonders, with miracles, and it was the Lord that wrought those. They, they had said to Paul, the thought that Paul and Barnabas healed the guy, and, and, and they tore the clothes, and so, no, we didn't do it. The, the Lord did these miracles among the Gentiles by them. And it says everybody's quiet, everybody's listening. And then after they, after they held their peace, they remained quiet, and then James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. And we're going to see down in verse 19, he's going to say, wherefore my sentence is, and he's calling for a resolution. So James Chrysostom tells us is the bishop of the church in Jerusalem. This is James, the half-brother of Christ. Um, some try to say, well, they were cousins. Well, anywhere in the New Testament when there's cousins, you know what it says? Cousins, right. <laughs> Uh, these were the, when, when it talks about Jesus' brothers and sisters, it's talking about brothers and sisters. 
the early church fathers say these were the uterine siblings of Christ. He was the firstborn, James, Josie, Simon, Jude, other brothers, and sisters, this remarkable family of at least seven kids in a one-room house. Jesus could have said, Father, just send me to a, you know, condo somewhere on the beach where I can be alone, you know, no, no, sends him in the madness. He grows up, you think you grew up in madness? Madness, he grew up with seven kids, at least, there may have been more sisters, there's at least plural, we don't know how many, and and he walked in our skin, and he spent his time, and James was there. James was the oldest other boy who just watched him, understood the the look in his eye. He thought, well, it's really strange what, what he thinks is funny, you know. You know, you just, you think of that. And then when they were six years old, you would go to what was called the school of the book. All little Jewish boys at six years old would go every day and sit with a rabbi at the end of the day. And they called that the school of the book. Imagine being the poor rabbi that has little Joshua in his class outsmarting him every day, correcting him, you know, and James went through all that with his brother. You know, you can imagine growing up in the carpenter shop with him. Joseph off the scene at some point, uh, possibly after, again, Joseph and Mary bring him up at 12 years old to Jerusalem. That may have been his bar mitzvah, which is the time when the Jewish father says, God, I'm no longer responsible for this young man. He's responsible to you now. And the young man will say, God, I'm no longer accountable to my father. I'm now accountable to you. And that may have been when Joseph passed the baton to his true father. Because Joseph knew, hey, Mary was pregnant. It was the Holy Ghost. It wasn't me. I'm, I've got this stewardship. And, and I, sometimes I think, what was it like for Joseph in his prayer life? Did he say, Father, this is your son. God, this is yours. You know, you... You've given him to me. I'm not up to the task. You know, what is it? You know, and, and, you know, you just think of what was the communion between Joseph and Jesus' Father in heaven like in those years and so forth. But sometime then Joseph passes off the scene. And Jesus then no doubt takes responsibility in the home until his 30th birthday. But uh, James grows up in this house with him. Uh, James, called by the early church, old camel knees, because they say he prayed eight to ten hours a day on his knees, and his knees became almost deformed. Um, They say when James, who was stoned to death, brutal death, when he died, that they had to almost break his legs, they had, trying to straighten him out to get him in the sarcophagus because they were they were just bent. And uh, you know, James, you know, count all joy, brethren, when you fall into various temptations, knowing that the trial of your faith worketh patience. But he said, take that patiently. And he said, you know, God is not, you know stingy. Go to him. Ask him for wisdom. He giveth to all men liberally. Take it from me. I spend 10 hours a day with him. I misread him for years so I was saved. You can go to him. He gives. He gives to all men liberally. Where else would he spend 10 hours a day but with his older brother? You know, how many times did he say, I didn't know? 
if I'd have known, I'd have been different. You know, just think of that communion for those years to where his knees actually become deformed, you know, spending. Now, we, we have access to the same older brother, by the way. We have the spirit of adoption. We're joint heirs where we cry, Abba, Father. And I'm still learning about that place. They held their peace. Then James answers. He's the bishop, the head of the church in Jerusalem. Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Now he's setting the stage to make a decision. He says, Simeon hath declared how God at first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Now it's interesting, he uses Peter's Hebrew name. You know, they're there in front of the Judaizers, and when he goes to talk about Peter, he calls him Simeon. That's his original Hebrew name. And he says, Simeon hath declared how God did at the first visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And then look what he does. Huge. So important. He says, and to this, taking the Gentiles for himself, agree the words of all the prophets as it is written... Now he does this. James says, okay, argument comes to Jerusalem. We have a debate here. Uh, Peter says, you remember my experience. It was at the beginning. And, and as I was speaking the gospel to Cornelius in his house, with the crowded, it was crowded, how the Holy Spirit fell and interrupted what I said and bore witness to the fact that God by faith had cleansed their hearts. Barnabas and Paul don't try to enlarge on anything doctrinal. They just kind of hitchhike on Peter and say, yeah, and these were the miracles that took place as we travel through Gentile to God bearing witness again of this. But James, who's the head of the church, he says, but it is written. It is written. It wasn't enough for there just to be miracles. It wasn't enough just for the Holy Ghost to fall. It wasn't enough just for those things to happen. We're told in the last days, you know, the Antichrist is going to arise with lying signs and wonders. Jesus said there's going to be many, many that come say, I am Christ, showing all kinds of miracles. Jesus said there's a day coming when they're going to come and say, Lord, didn't we do this in your name and cast out demons in your name and heal in your name? And I'm going to say, be gone, I never knew you. You know, right from the beginning, you know, he comes to Egypt. You know the story. Charlton Heston throws down his staff. And then the Hebrew, I mean, the Egyptian sorcerers throw down their staffs. They turn into snakes as well. Moses turns water to blood. The Egyptian sorcerers turn water to blood. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy how they withstood Moses. So it isn't like there isn't miracles from the dark side. Darth Vader's got them too, okay? On the dark side of all this, and they can be deceptive if that's all we build on. James is going to get up now and say, you know what? It is written. Here's the basis for all of this. There's evidence, certainly. Peter and Barnabas and Paul have given that to us. But here's the basis. Here's the part of it that's immovable. If the Judaizers want to argue from the Old Testament about what needs to happen, 
then we look to the Old Testament, and this is what it says. He says, to this agree. Now, by the way, that symphonesis, we get our word symphony from that. He says, prophets plural. He says, there's a symphony. They're in harmony. It's organized. They played their instruments together. It was an orchestra. It wasn't one guy saying one thing, one guy saying another thing. He says, no, to this, there's the symphony of the words of the prophets as it is written. After this, I will return and build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Now he goes to Amos, but he says prophets, plural, when he talks about it. He goes to Amos um, chapter 10 here, verses 11 and 12. And I'll read it to you from there. It's interesting. James, it's Amos chapter 9, 10 and 12, 11 and 12. James is quoting the Septuagint, uh, which was accepted the Greek translation of the Old Testament in his day. He says, In that day, Amos, will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and of all the heathen, the Gentiles, which are called by my name, saith the Lord, that doeth this. Now, if you look at verse 16 there, and it says, after this, uh, the the Greek says after these things. So the context of Amos is, you know, after this season where God brings judgment upon the Jews and so forth. James isn't saying this is only something that's fulfilled right now. He's saying this is something that God spoke when He looked forward through Amos, spoke of the kingdom spoke of the difficult days were coming, and then said, after these things, I'm going to build up the kingdom of David. And, uh, you know, I wonder what James is thinking. That's his lineage, uh, the seed of David. He's of Judah. He's going to build up again the, 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 the tabernacle of David, and he's looking, no doubt, forward to the kingdom. But he said, our prophets told us the Gentiles are going to be involved in this. They're going to be gathered in. They're going to be called by his name, he says. That's that's what is written. That's what the scripture, and they're all, you know, all these Pharisees are familiar with that. Think of the first five books memorized. He says, and he says, God's going to do this. After these things, I will return. Come on, Lord. Build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. Promised David this dynasty, this kingdom. I will build again the ruins thereof. I will set it up that the residue of men, probably talking about the Israelites, Romans 11, that are the true believers, might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles 
upon whom my name is called, that's us, and, and those that are still to be saved, saith the Lord, who doeth. He's the one, James says, who's doing all these things. Not Paul and Barnabas. He's doing this. And then he says, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. God's not surprised. God's all-knowing. God told Peter this was going to happen. Told him, don't call that common, which I have cleansed. God spoke of these things through the prophets, plural, in the Old Testament. James says, we knew these things were coming. Verse 19, he says, wherefore, my sentence is, so you have him as the bishop of the church. He's offering a resolution. Now, wherefore, because of the scripture upholding this, what we're seeing is what the prophets spoke of. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them. Now, this is going to be the first epistle written. We'll get there. Not tonight. That we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions, plural, of idols, and from fornication, sexual sin, and from things, plural, strangled, and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Because this is something the Jews are used to. This is what they hear all the time. He doesn't say here that they have to keep dietary laws. He doesn't. There's no mention of the Sabbath. There's no mention of tithing. There's no mention of circumcision. He doesn't say here you can't go to movies. You can't watch the Super Bowl. Uh, uh, he doesn't forbid dancing. Can Christians dance? Some can, some can't, you know. Uh, he, 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 he doesn't, he, he's, not, he's not laying all the things. Some, the church sometimes lays these things. You know, he's not doing that. It, it, it's remarkable what he, what he does here. He says, this is the resolution. We're going to write unto them. And, and we're going to, as next week, Lord willing, we'll, we'll look more closely at that. He says, we're going to write unto them, number, that they abstain, and the, the Greek is there, that, that you hold yourselves away from. It's in the middle voice. We're going to ask you to participate in something here. We're going to ask them that they would hold themselves away from pollutions, plural, of idols. And you can imagine in that culture what that was and what that looked like. You know, Paul's going to say when he writes to Corinthians, look, there's, you know, some of, there's guys that are stumbled because you go to the, to the market and you buy this prime rib that was offered to Zeus the day before, and those people are stumbled. And he says, eh, you know, it doesn't mean anything to those of us who have faith. It doesn't stumble us, but it can stumble someone else. He's going to say in Romans, not to do anything that would stumble your brother. Paul's going to say that. So James here says, look, this is what we're going to ask, that you hold yourself back from the pollutions of idolatry. The Jews are, you know, monotheistic. We believed in one God our whole existence. Uh, again, 
good friend in Jerusalem, has gone home to be with the Lord, uh, began the first church in Jerusalem, Messianic Fellowship on Prophet Street. Um, it was a good friend, uh, Victor Smadja. And we were there once years ago listening to him. He was talking, asked him if he would talk to our group. He's talking to our group. He got saved when he was 16 in Israel, before they became a nation. So you can imagine, it was like 1954 and 55, where he appeals to the government to start a Messianic fellowship. They didn't know what to do with Messianic Jews. Then they said, sure, now you're going to get a hard time. But he's grandfathered in, you know, you know everybody shrugged their shoulders. And they knew him. And uh, so he's there talking to our group again. And, and afterwards, one of the young people in the group said, you know, when were you converted? He said, no, no. No, no, you were converted. You were pagans. You were converted. I was completed. He said, I always had the right God. I just didn't have all the information. He said, you were converted. I was completed. You know, well-spirited and everybody, you know, took it to heart. It was wonderful. But, but here he's going to say, look, you, you're the Gentiles. You're getting converted. There are those here that got completed. So what I want you to do is hold your back from, hold yourselves back from pollutions of idols. Hold yourself back from fornication, from sexual sin, because the Jews, and it doesn't even mention specifically what kind here, because porneo would include temple prostitutes, it would include adultery, it would homosexuality, it would include. It takes it all under that roof: sexual, sexual sin outside of marriage. You know, Paul will say to the Corinthians, to us, now, the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that that which is joined to a harlot is one body? For the two, saith he, shall be one flesh. Adam and Eve in the garden. Intimacy. The two shall be one. Um, you know, God takes Eve and separates her from Adam's side. Marriage can only be the coming together of those two elements, of the woman and the man. They make a completion. Our culture and our government, if they want, they can have civil unions, but that's never a marriage because a marriage is the coming back together of something that God separated. And he says that here. That, that is the only thing that marriage really is. He says, if you're, if you're asleep with a prostitute, you're joined to the harlot, because the scripture says you become one flesh. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. James says, hold yourself away from it. Every sin that a man does is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? which you have of God, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. He says, don't you understand your physical frame? Guys, all of us, your body, my body, has an eschatological destination. 
It's not just something you run with and wear out while you're here in this world. And if you take your body and you're allowing it to participate in sexual sin of any kind, you need to realize that one day that body that you're joining to that harlot is going to be resurrected and stand in the presence of the Lord. It won't carry that mar, obviously. Our body shall be fashioned like unto his glorious body, the scripture says. But Paul's saying there's, there's a spiritual sin here. It's not just like outward sin. Something else happens. And you take the vessel that is to be the temple of the Holy Ghost and you join it sexually in some prohibited behavior from the, the Creator, not realizing that one day that frame is going to be raised and stand before the one who created it and redeemed it. So James says, look, keep yourself from idols. He says that. And he says, from fornication, from things strangled and from blood. Look, these are things that are not bled out. uh, And blood has a funny connection to the occult anyway. He says, the reason I want you to do these things is for Moses of old time hath been in every city uh, them that preach him. In, In every town there's a synagogue being read in the synagogue. So what what he's doing here is remarkable. He says, all right, look, we don't want to take the Gentiles and put them under the Judaic code. You don't get saved by being a Jew, by keeping the law of Moses. We, we, We can't let that happen. On the other hand, you Gentiles, he said, you just can't run rampant and expect your Jewish brethren to embrace you because they're going to be stumbled by some of the things that you do. So we're not going to lay on you circumcision, feast days. You're not going to tell you you've got to keep the law to be saved. But what we are going to tell you is keep yourself from idols. It's a stumbling block to your Jewish brethren. And we're, we're, we're seeing that bridge built. We're seeing that wall broken down. Keep yourself from sexual sin. That's part of idolatry and, and it's a worship of another God and it has been all through the history of the nation. Keep yourself from things strangled. The Jews very meticulously cut the throat and, and bled the animal before they would have a sacrifice or partake of it. And he said, from blood. Look, these are things that are going to stumble your Jewish brethren. Here I am, James says. I'm trying to, I'm listening to their side, these Judaizers, listening to your side. And I agree with Peter. I agree with Paul and Barnabas. And he's a very strict Jewish man, James said. I agree with them. There's no question. He said, but this is what we're going to lay out. He said, these few things, we want you to hold yourself the Gentile churches. We're going to put it in a letter and send it to them. Because in those congregations, there were also Jewish believers. And he said, understand, Moses is read every Sabbath day in the synagogue. This is you know, something that's foreign or people have to reach for. They're, they're, in, they're you know, ingrained in this. 
So keep yourself from pollutions of idols, whatever, however that comes. Keep yourself from sexual immorality. Keep yourself from things strangled and from blood. Because he knows, okay, here's what we're going to ask of the Gentiles. It's not making you righteous. We're not telling you you have to keep the law of Moses. But we're telling you, why would you do something, if Christ dwells in you, that will stumble your brother? We're going to tell the Jews the same thing. You can't lay on these Gentiles the law of Moses. That does, you know, disrepute to the blood of Christ and his, his finished work on the cross. So both sides, he's asking to come together here. Look, go to Paul. Go to James, listen to them, you know. I can't imagine James having to manage this church in Jerusalem that's changing so quickly, it's new. Things are changing constantly. The church is learning what it is. It's learning how it spreads. It's learning to accept Gentiles. It's learning all of these things are being, you know, ecclesiology. Everything's being formed here. So James... Finally, he gives the, the edict, the, you know, this is what I think is the resolution here that should be accepted. And, and at the center of it, it's, it's Christian love. If you, if you say this or say that and you don't love your brother, how's Christ dwelling in you? What, what does it mean? And, you know, Christians, some Christians just love to argue with other Christians. It's their, their favorite indoor sport, you know. Uh, let's fight about prophecy. Let's fight about uh, election. You know, let's fight about this, fight about that. Yeah. Great. <laughs> I think you should have your own systematic theology. You should study the scripture and know what you believe and why you believe it. But there are higher things, I believe, before the Lord's heart than right and wrong. Now, listen to me. Don't don't run out and say, ah, oh, no, no, you didn't hear me say that. The idea is we all believe certain things are wrong. We all believe certain things are right, and those are high things because the Scripture enjoins them to us. But I have brothers in Christ with a different position than I have on certain things. They see some things differently than I do. Not Christ, not redemption, not the Holy Spirit, not the necessity of the church, but there are other issues. And in that circumstance, there are, there's higher things than right and wrong. There's, there is unity, never at the stake of doctrine. That's not what I'm saying. But Christians can be nitpicky. Can you think of one right now? If you can think of a nitpicky Christian, could you please raise your hand? You only have five people being honest. Everybody else is guilty of another sin. Look. Don't argue with them. That's what I'm saying. Don't fight that. You know, sometimes it's a, it's a waste of energy. It's an it's an exercise in frustration to do that. Uh, we we can have other opinions. Look, an opinion. You have to realize somebody else has the right to have an opinion. Right. I mean, we saw so much insanity in the last election in the church. Somebody can have another opinion. Vax and unvax. Somebody can have another opinion. Still be your brother and sister in Christ. There is racial differences. But there's something we have that overrides all of that and is more powerful and we have a greater commonality than we have difference. 
so people can have different opinions. Personally, I enjoy that. That's wonderful. You have to be careful when you're, if you have an opinion, usually you respect somebody else's right to have an opinion. If you know what you have is only an opinion. We have to be careful when we take a position, and there's some we should take. What we're learning from James in this church that still needs to be true today is, look, some of you feel a particular liberty, but don't ever exercise that in a way that would stumble your brother. Because it's not just an argument about right and wrong. There's something higher here, and that's the benefit of your brother. Don't stumble them. Paul says, God forbid I would do anything that stumbles my brother in Christ. And he says to the Jews, the legalists, look, let them alone. You know, we're going to, these few necessary things we're going to lay on them, but they don't have to be circumcised to be saved. You can be circumcised, but it doesn't save you. They don't have to keep the Seder, you Jewish believers. You want to you celebrate the Passover? You want to go through all the tradition? That's wonderful. But it doesn't save you. You want to keep dietary laws? Most of us should keep some kind of dietary laws. No, you want to keep the dietary laws? It's fine, but it doesn't save you. You know, the, all of the Jews had the right to do the things that they had convictions about. And, and, and the Jews, when, as, as they're saved and the Messiah is becoming real to them, and they're realizing all these things we acted out have these tremendous and beautiful fulfillments in our Messiah. So they have the right to do things according to their conviction. They don't have the right to force any type of a legalistic measure on top of a Gentile who's going to do things differently who's also filled with the Spirit and loves Christ. The Gentile has no right here in this picture to stumble the Jew. So he says, look, do, at least do these basic things. Stay away. Keep yourself away from them. This is a job for you. Keep yourself away from those pollutions, plural, of idols. Stay away from sexual sin. The church is plagued with it. The church is plagued with it. You know, when I was a kid, oh, here we go. I don't remember. I sound like my father. I can't believe it. But, you know, TV was black and white. You know, at midnight it went, and the TV went off. You know, now you look at TV commercials in the Super Bowl. You look at this. It's sensual. It's sexual. Again, you know, half of our kindergarten kids that have 50% of them have mobile devices, kindergartners in America, and 50% of them, one half of them have been on a pornographic site. 25% of kindergarten kids in this country. So you can imagine just our culture, where it's going, what it's doing. He says here, keep yourself away from that. You have a higher calling. Your body's, it has an eschatal, has a prophetic destiny. God's going to raise it up. You're going to stand before him, and he's going to take this corruption and make it incorruption. This mortal must become immortality. And, and our bodies are going to be fashioned like unto his glorious body because we are citizens of heaven. And, and that is a hard trade-off. You know, Jesus says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, not on earth, where moth and rust don't you know, corrupt and thieves break in and steal, but lay, themselves, lay your treasures up in heaven because where your treasure is, 
that's where your heart's going to be. And he's asking us to lay aside the very tangible pleasures and things that surround us that we can put our hands on, that give us consolation, that give us some type of fulfillment, that turn our dopamine on, you know. He he says, I want you to trade that away and lay up your treasures in heaven for what you can hold on to now, what you can't wrap your arms around right now, which is not going to satisfy your lust for this or your lust for revenge or your lust for one thing or another. He said, lay up your treasures in heaven. Because where your heart is, that's where your, you know, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be also. So, so he's saying that here to these Christians, legalistic side, you know, carnal side. He's going to say, make these concessions, come together, love one another, fulfill the law of Christ. By this will all men know you're my disciples, by the love that you have one for another. Verse 22, where we'll be next week, then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church. Isn't it great when the whole church does something together? You know, I guess if Peter, Paul, and Mary are there, it's easier. Then pleased it the apostles and the elders and the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. What a, a great thing that takes place now at this point. So read ahead. <clears throat> We're going to see the first epistle written, how it's presented to the church. And I love the fact that these guys say it seemed good to us and to the Holy Ghost. Like... They said to the Holy Ghost, does this seem good to you? Mm-hmm, seems good to me too. That's, that's what we thought. It seems good to us. Well, I'm glad. You know, it's so remarkable, the intimacy. You know, we, we, you know I don't think, we, we have prayer meeting on Sunday night. I don't think Paul's churches had a struggle. How do we pray? What do we do when we get there? I think that was the life of the church. I think it was normalcy. I think the moving of the Holy Spirit, the directing of the hearts of the believers, I think it was normalcy. And I'm thinking, Lord, I'm so stupid, and I'm so carnal, and I'm so drawn to tangible things. And I so desperately, personally, need to, in my time alone with him, I I, I need to develop that. I need to cultivate my sense of his presence and of another kingdom. I need to be aware of it on the worst day. This came to pass, didn't come to stay, you know. We're together on this? Okay, so tonight, Holy Ghost, James, Barnabas, Paul, Peter, don't stumble each other. Amen? We're brothers and sisters. Don't exercise your freedom ever in a way that would stumble a brother or sister that's growing in Christ. And there are some, if they exercise that freedom, they'd end up back in a rehab, back on a street. Don't ever exercise your liberty that it might stumble your brother who Christ died for. Don't ever use your physical frame to indulge in pleasure because someday that physical frame is going to stand in front of Jesus Christ in all of his glory and all of his power. You're here tonight, you're involved in sexual sin, 
adultery, whatever it may be, look, you have the right to repent. You have the right to have genuine brokenness and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm off track. I'm blowing it. I encourage you to do that. His mercies are new every morning. It isn't a light thing. It's not to be, you know, treated that way. We can't have a cavalier attitude, but we can genuinely come to him in brokenness and say, Lord, I I just lay this before you. You know, I, I lay this before you, Lord. This is my repentance. I believe. I trust you. Give me a new beginning. You know, David... Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. We have the right to do that. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at these things, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. Lord, each one of us is in a different place in so many ways. Lord, we hear in this scene the different positions, different Angles, Lord, and all of this, people having convictions about one thing or another, and, and you're, Lord, you're bringing them together, Lord, as you bring us together. Lord, you're giving us commonality that outweighs all of our differences, Lord. We think of that day when we stand around your throne from every tribe, every nation, every race, every people, every tongue, with the lamb in front of us. with the greatest commonality, Lord, that there could ever be, Lord, that cause our differences to be beautiful. Lord, let that be so now, Lord. Give us an eye and a heart to encourage, to lift up, Lord, not to stumble. And to live before you properly, Lord, each of us. We trust you, Lord, to continue the good work you've begun in us. We're amazed that that's your delight. Everybody else in life has gotten tired of us at one point or another, Lord. And because you see the end from the beginning, you never do, Lord. We need faith to embrace that, Lord. Grant us fresh measures of that faith, Lord. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name, and Lord Jesus, we love you. Receive our, our hearts and our voices now.